0: Few topics can be as politically polarizing as immigration. The idea of who and how a person enters a country often triggers a very emotional response, irrespective of political ideology. In the United States, this has been an ongoing conversation for seemingly forever. As a nation whose very foundations have been built on immigration, legal, illegal, and forced, every presidential administration has had to grapple with the issue. But in recent years, it has become a mainstay topic in political theater, particularly when you talk about the undocumented. As you can imagine, for obvious reasons, it can be difficult to get exact numbers. But as of right now, it is estimated that anywhere between 3.2 and 3.5% of the U.S. population is living without legal status. That translates to somewhere around 10 to 12 million people. And of those, Approximately 600,000 of them are estimated to be black individuals. It is for this reason that the UndocuBlack Network was formed, a community-based organization that addresses the nuanced experiences of the black undocumented population in the United States. Patrice Lawrence currently serves as co-director of the organization, and in this episode shares her personal insight, as well as the stigma and the stress of being undocumented. She explains the complexity around the different types of immigration statuses, the impact of the day-to-day when you're unauthorized, and how anti-Black sentiment can further exasperate an already tenuous situation. As we like to say around here, international mobility happens for all kinds of reasons. And today, we're exploring one version that sometimes makes for uncomfortable conversations. Welcome to The Global Chatter. There we go. So I probably should put my volume up so people could actually hear what I'm saying. Welcome to the latest episode of the Global Chatter. I am Amanda and I say this every episode. I don't care. I think I have the coolest guest and today is no exception. I am with Patrice Lawrence of Black, and I am excited about this discussion. Um, Those of us, you know, if you found me, you know the Black expat, we talk about Black mobility. Uh, But Black mobility happens for a bunch of reasons. Um, Sometimes political, sometimes not. Sometimes it's sexy, sometimes it's not. And, And I think that it is super important that we talk about issues around immigration because there are so many stories that get left out because of our own assumptions. And so Patrice has kindly joined me today to talk about the work of her network and her organization and hopefully kind of inform y'all who are listening in and also um, get a little empathy for, for some of the things that she's seeing. So Patrice, welcome after that super long introduction.
1: Thank you for having me, the pleasure is mine.
0: Yeah, so I, I, you know, I always like to start because uh, the nature of this podcast, people just like to know where people are. So, where are you currently located? I'm in the DMV area, uh, so DC,
1: Maryland, Virginia. There
0: you go. <laughs> for those, for the people who are not in the states and the people who are not American, are like, what is the DMV? Yeah, we we were talking offline because some of y'all know DC girl here who was born lived in virginia lived in maryland so this is that's probably outside of where i live right now my favorite part of the united states just because it's home for me um i know other people have their own thoughts about dc but i think if you see dc the way some of us see it uh you would love it too but that's neither here nor there so all right patrice let's let's get started so you know, I, I, there's an intro that, of course, is recorded separate from this, but I love for people to kind of tell in their own words about about the projects and the missions that they they are working on. And so let's talk a little bit about your work. What What is UndocuBlack? What is UndocuBlack?
1: So we're a network, we're UndocuBlack network. Um, we are a community of Black and undocumented folks, currently or formerly. Um, so that includes different types of people, people who have DACA, which is more popularly known, things like temporary protected status, which is a little less popularly known, but Mm. for instance, Haitians have TPS, some Haitians Mm. who, um, it's something that you, uh, it's like a protection if you had like a natural disaster and you were here present in the United States. We extend that as well to like asylees, refugees, And then a lot of us who have none of those and are just undocumented. We came to the U.S. at some point Mm -hmm. and um, our paperwork expired for one reason or another, or maybe we didn't have to begin with. And so the broad term
0: is undocumented. Mm. And I mean, you know this because of the work that, that, that you do, without a doubt, it's often a politically hot topic, right? Like it's it's a sensitive topic. Immigration is a hot topic. And I guess just from the stuff that you're doing, can you kind of paint a picture for us? Because I'm American and and whatever. Let's let's exclude my international experiences for whatever. Um, I'm American, but I'm, I'm first gen. And so I know how complicated the immigration process is in this in this country. But can you kind of paint the picture of sort of why someone might be undocumented, and at least in the work that you're seeing. Yeah. Where are you from, Amanda, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. So first-gen family's from Cameroon, West Africa. So I know a lot about immigration.
1: (laughs) And A lot going on.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so there's different ways, right? So there's different, think of all the different ways that people can enter the United States. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So how is it possible? Like, um, airplane by land, uh, so crossing some border, either the northern border, the Canadian border, or the southern or southwest border, um, going up through uh, Texas, California, Mm -hmm. or, um, or by sea. Right? All right. So the whole thing about undocumentedness truly is created, right? those of us who know a little bit about history you think about like the wet foot dry foot policy you remember learning about that with the whole thing where america will accept cubans if Mm. they come by boat to the shores of florida but if you're haitian and you come to the boat to the shores of florida you don't get accepted right (laughs) yeah yeah that's all political that's all political that was all created because um you know, America wanted to be the force that was fighting communism. So yes, we will rescue the poor Cubans who come to the shores and make them American. And that process is a little easier. They can get asylum. They can be able to be processed. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one way. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't happen for Haitians, some of whom still enter the United States that way. And America says, well, yeah, we don't really we've we've messed up your country enough, and that's just it. We don't really need your people. (laughs) Um, And then there's some of us who arrived by airplane. And so we had like a visa, maybe a student visa, maybe a temporary visa, because like, you know, that it's very tight to even get a visa in the first place. So we are talking about people of a certain socioeconomic class. A lot of times like with access um, in the first place and you come and a lot of us actually don't know what the rules are or don't know what the system setup is and assume well i can adjust my status to be um someone who's living here for a very long time working going to school and it will be fine well you're undocumented because your visa expired and you don't have common status anymore and so your freedom is limited. And I think that's just the biggest piece about being undocumented that's a little different from anything else, is the fact that you no longer are free to travel. Because the United States initiated this thing in 1996, so when I was seven, um, that said that if you overstay a status by a certain amount of time, you are banned from the United States for three or 10 years right it's called the three and ten year bar and so if you leave you can leave but you can't come back right and of course we know that for the united states like they say that like 10 years but a lot of people never are able to come back and the way of course the united states is connected to all the other countries in the world they ask right and you probably have done visa applications where they ask Have you ever overstayed a visa? Have you ever, where are you applying from now? What do you have there? And so the implications are very far reaching. And I think that's when you start to come into the undocumented world. When you add race on top of it
0: and ethnicity,
1: right? Then that's the black experience. And so that's the intersection that we fall at the middle of.
0: And that and that's the point that I am glad you went there, that I was really intrigued by because of what your focus is, that intersection. Why. And it sounds like a weird question to ask, but why the focus on 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 sort of the black undocumented experience and and this is kind of second part to it, what is a little bit different that maybe what you may see from the um from the from the black undocumented experience that may be different from maybe other groups if there are any.
1: Yeah. Um, why? Why is simple. We were a bunch of folks that were experiencing You know how like the conversation's happening right now with like Black Lives Matter and like police and all this and okay. You know how we're all having the same conversation. Yeah, right? Yeah. But black people are having it just a little bit different. Yeah. It's no different. It really is no different when it comes to immigration. There are different fact patterns that make up our lives. There are different places we come from, there are different ways that we are experienced in the world, and there's different ways that racism and anti-blackness really clashes into who we are. And so UndocuBlack was created actually first as the Undocumented and Black convening in January of 2016. Mm-hmm. And we had about 70 folks who uh, convened at a secret location in Miami, for real, it really was secret. And, um, and then a few months later, we formed what was called the UndocuBlack Network. But we started first of wanting to be together and coming out of an experience of uh, needing to convene space for people that had this similar identity. Now, there's still multiple identities between us, right? Because Black is not a monolith, right? So there are people who are from Africa, people who are from the Caribbean, people are even from Europe, right, but are ethnically Black or they went there for some reason. And then folks who are queer and we've got different ages and all of that. So there's so many identities in there. But trying to live in other immigration spaces that were definitely not Black and not predominantly Black and did not cater to us um, was just not it. We needed a safe space to be. And uh, that was like, for me, one of the only places where I could go and talk like a Jamaican. I'm Jamaican, right? And even in this podcast, I have uh, Pseudo-American accent, which I don't like to have, but it comes up. But being around my people, I'm different. I'm different. Mm-hmm. You get to really explore that freedom. And to me, the connect, for us, the connection to that freedom is a connection to justice, because it brings us a little closer to being whole. And so like I think the community in general, that's what we're looking for. That's what we're hoping to achieve. Is just a little bit more justice and a little bit more wholeness and a little bit more freedom
0: hmm. you know part of the reason I started the Black expat was because I've always said there's nuances to the black experience, right that agreed we're We're all black, but <laughs> you know but. you you obviously having a Jamaican identity. I having a Cameroonian American identity, someone having a Black German identity, there are things that we experience because of our cultures and spaces. But then there are things that we experience just cuz we're black, <laughs> right? And so just even hearing you talk, I'm thinking to myself, it's true like I've known plenty of people who are undocumented for a variety of reasons in my work. Right. And, and the what, and, and, and this is why I was very, okay. this is why I was, and this is why you know so much, I know, right? no, I, you oh, know so I know more than one. I know all okay. kinds of people, but here's the thing that is so fascinating, right? Is that when we have a picture in the United States of who is undocumented first. Yeah. There is a stereotype. Mhm, and <laughs> there is a particular stereotype, unfortunately, especially for those of the folks who are more latinx presenting you know and and i this is crazy i did actually did an interview yesterday for the podcast, and I don't even know if it made it onto the interview. no, it did because I'm keeping it in, but the person speaking, not American, he's biracial or whatever, but he talked about a friend who got. Profiled because they thought he was uh, Mexican. And Mm. someone came, someone actually just walked up in the store and asked him if he was an illegal immigrant, which. I bet. (laughs) Happens more than you think. My face right now is even if I thought it, I would never look your face is like okay, go ahead because here's the thing. there's an entitledness,
1: right? There's an entitledness to whiteness and a proximity to it in America. This yes. entitledness that I need to check you out. Who are you? What are you doing in my space da da, da 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 da, right? When I think about um, you know, we're just talking about what this week has been, and this week has been really oh, heavy. right. right really heavy right and um i think about my first experience in america being really watching a case and that was trayvon martin george mm-hmm. george zimmer george Zim- whatever george zimmerman zimmer. <laughs> yeah. was not a police officer But why do we think of him so much when we think about police brutality? Because he took on the role of a police officer, of someone who was going to patrol this young black boy and was going to question, what are you doing here? And he just felt as if Trayvon did not belong, that he was not supposed to be there, that he did not belong. And you extend that and it's just like, every other layer it's every other layer and so um that's the reason for instance where if i get stopped by the police i'm also light skin, so there may be certain things i get away with on a traffic stop because i can put on an american accent maybe if i pull my hair back enough you know they'll say okay maybe she belongs here but someone who has a thicker accent a darker skin will not get away with that because they'll say well you don't belong here what are you doing here right and it's it's not it's not safe it's not safe for us it's not safe and it's not a way to be in community and it's really not a way to achieve any type of freedom for anyone right yeah and so before docu black was formed it was actually right after the freddie gray murder mm-hmm. in baltimore right and so um our co-founders some of them are from the dmv area as well and they were discussing that whole thing that was going on with the police in some of their immigrant spaces and they didn't have the same analysis why because they were lacking the lens of looking through it as a black person and so mm-hmm. it's just you know it's all related it's really really all related and when we talk about language like you know <laughs> i was talking about this with um with with, with my team member who who who, yeah. who you were conversing with this word expat boy it blows me i was like what is this <laughs> and why is it that some people get to be an expat and the rest of us get to be an undocumented immigrant what what is there? I know one thing that's there. It's like freedom. I no longer have freedom to roam the world. Right. And I used to have that freedom before,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, cause I came here around 15 years ago. So I was kind of an adult as a teenager. Mm-hmm. So in my teenage years, I was able to roam the world. I can't anymore, you know, and that robs you of something in like a way that is so deep. I can't explain. And it's really important to, talk to people about it because when you talk to people in your family who maybe years ago did this thing and of course they weren't calling it undocumented there it was you don't have your papers or mm-hmm. you're not mm-hmm. straight mm-hmm. you know all the different words that we mm-hmm. use in the black community um in general for it and then they'll say well it's just how it is you need what you get to yourself into ah uh, keep quiet don't say nothing and that doesn't help me because I am repressing those emotions and repressing what I'm feeling. And Zaki Black is really a
0: space that you don't have to do that anymore. You said two things that I want to pull out that are super important. Number one, um, okay. So expat, right? So when I decided to call the site, the black expat, <laughs> it was for only one reason. <laughs> so that black people could, I say this all the time. So that black people could know it was for them. Right. And but then this is what you find out. You find out expat is a political term, right? And I and I I have been, I have lived in a different country, whatever. But I I have openly just defined expat as someone who moves to a different country. I don't care why they do it. I don't care if it's because they're a diplomat, they're a business person, because of war, they're a refugee, whatever. Because for me, you yeah. crossed a border. Yeah. Right? I don't care why you cross the border, how you cross the border. Right. So I have always said if I named the site, the black immigrant, it would have a completely, like the people who come wouldn't be coming because they wouldn't think it was for them. Right. Because this term expat and immigrant. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing that you said that the stuck out to me is, and I am a I am a counselor. I feel like i have been saying this and I've got to say this in every episode lately because then we have <laughs> this cover. We have all these conversations where I'm like, I'm asking you these questions. It's a counselor in me. OK, now it's turned into a therapy session um, about the mental wellness, because we don't ever think about the cost mentally. That someone has that they're paying to navigate in this gray area. Ugh, and I and I paying. and I'm and I'm wondering because they're they, this is kind of a tangent off of that. As someone who's a if you are a black person in this country, you're already navigating being a black person. Mm-hmm. But then if you're a black person who's also undocumented, who's also trying to process. Like you mentioned Freddie Gray. I was just talking to someone about Philando Castile, obviously George Floyd. I mean, I think they just buried Dwayne Wright yesterday. Mm. Um, how mentally are what like, what are those costs that I don't think people understand that gets kind of lost in a political conversation? And mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. do you even mm-hmm. have those conversations, even with other black people who, yes, you share being Black, but then now it becomes, oh, but your status, we're not at the same status legally. Yeah, we're not. Loaded question. <laughs>
1: um, Different layers, I think. Um, So I'll mention this. So my co-director, um, Gabrielle, she is a licensed therapist and a social worker, and so One of the things that she brought to this work when we were creating it in 2016 and building what we wanted the network to look like, and we did this like interviews from everyone who came and new people have come along, but one of it was to do this through a mental wellness lens, everything, everything through that lens. And that really helped to set the stage for how we operate at Onda Black. Mm -hmm. Now with the wider community, it's harder. I have a book that I always have next to me that was written by Gabrielle actually, and you can find it on our website. It's mm-hmm. called Alive and Well Discussion Series. Oh, cool. And there's these beautiful activities that she has in there. It's like a hundred and something pages. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of my favorite activities just for breaking the ice with people is this thing that she calls diaspora bingo. Ooh. And by <laughs> doing it, you kind of realize like, where is somebody from, right? Where are you from and where are you from from? Because it's little things like do you call a thing curry chicken or do you call it chicken curry, right? Like that's important. That's really important. Uh, You know, is it jollof rice or is it uh, pilau? Like that's also really important. Who has the best one? And so there are ways to have conversations without having conversations.
0: You feel me? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Sorry, you start first of all, I made gel off rice this week. So I'm like, yes, <laughs> then you were talking about the curry chick, but even saying curry chicken, chicken, dude, I, I like, I never even thought about those nuances, but that's really deep. Like I, man, I, because, and I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that she's a, a licensed therapist and social worker, because I would just imagine not even imagine, because I know people, the, the mental weight, right? Because because let, let's sort of walk through and this is not a day or a week of life of someone, but what are some of the decisions that maybe someone who's got legal status in this country, they don't even have to think twice about, but maybe if that's not you, you have to you have to kind of work through like, like what are some of the just regular life decisions that are concerns? Oh God, there's so many. Um,
1: all right, I, I'll, I'll just reel them off and you can cut out half of these if you need to. <laughs> that's no, that's fine. All right, one. Mention therapist. Going to a therapist. How are you gonna pay for it? Mm-hmm. Do you have health insurance? Mm-hmm. Are you going to use that health insurance? Mm-hmm. Because know that you're always thinking about what are you going to do that will jeopardize you when you get a chance to apply for status. So by that, I mean, when you go for a green card, Uh they're asking you all the questions. You have to do a health physical exam. You have to go to the doctor. They're assessing everything about you. And so you know you need this help. All right, yeah, black girls do therapy, all these fun, fun things. This is great. It's also expensive. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And maybe you have access to health insurance for some reason. Yeah which is also hard to yeah. think of but yeah. then it's even that added thing of can i use that health insurance or will that officer know or ask me if i've ever been to therapy or mm. and i answer and they go well she's mentally unstable she can't be american mm. the layers of the pieces and i think black people in general go through something like that when they think about do you tell your employer if you go to therapy? Mm-hmm. Who is your employer? Do you want them to know that, right? Because we know that we have to be what twice as good to go half as far. Mm -hmm. It's the same, but then you add the extra layer of like an immigration official coming at you.
0: Mm.
1: A deeper one, um, I think of this pandemic and death.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Somebody dies back home. Anybody else? Expat? all right, well, let me see if I can get a week off of work. I'm going to go home for that funeral. Yeah. I can't do that. Yeah. I haven't been home in almost 10 years. Yeah. I haven't been home for a funeral in 10 years. Mm -hmm. I haven't been able to attend a funeral actually in nine years because last year during the pandemic, because nobody could go home, they streamed the funeral of my aunt. For the first time, I was able to virtually attend and virtually participate and virtually grieve with my family um, over a death. Mm. And I think about the different ways that we could make things more accessible for people, Mm -hmm. and we haven't. I think about how this pandemic has kind of pulled that out for us as a people. Mm -hmm. That there are ways to connect people, but there wasn't a collective mass, there wasn't a, you know, there wasn't enough of us that were excluded to create those opportunities, Mm -hmm. but no, we're all excluded, so yes, funeral in Jamaica, nobody is going home for it, we will stream Mm -hmm. that funeral online, you get to participate. But I've been robbed of that for 10 years. I've not been able to have that. And that was my first one. And I've had so many people die.
0: Hmm. Man, you have just dropped some knowledge. And I, I've got some follow up to that. So we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to pick back up on that because, man, I've, I got some stories off of that. So hold on for one second. All right. So I, you know, I was saying offline how I hadn't even considered as as there's a lot of things I considered about this, but I hadn't considered the mental health. And then you brought up, obviously, a family member passing in the last year and obviously them being inclusive in terms of allowing you to see the funeral. And it's funny because earlier this year, I like I'd released like five stories on migration, black migration that people should watch, like recent stories. And one of them, and it's, it has nothing to do with the US, but it is about being undocumented. She is in France. She's Cameroonian and, and she's a hairstylist. And mm-hmm. if you ever get a chance to see this, it's listed on our site. If you look for like five movies on Black dig- migration, wherever I wrote the article. And she talks about the same thing you were talking about in terms of, I think her mother died, but she had been undocumented at that point, maybe five, eight, 10 years in France. And there was just, no way. And then there was a point, and I am saying it's France, it might be the Netherlands, it's somewhere in the EU. Um, I just remember it being in French, but Oh, sorry, it's a lie, Belgium. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but then on top of that, there was a scene. And, and it's not a movie. This is the thing. This is actually a Cameroonian film, like a documentary. So yeah. it's not a movie at all. Yeah. And so you start to hear all these people coming into her hair shop right because it's like you know barbershops and hair shops for black folks right you yep. hear all the stuff so they're telling all the tea and everyone's talking about their immigration status and then there's this point where there's a rumor that police were checking immigration status in that strip and there's this scene where the woman who's recording and she's legal basically gets to just stand there while the owner has to leave because they're looking because they're mm-hmm. looking to check papers because there was rumors because it's a highly immigrant area. there's rumors that there's undocumented folks, right? And so mm-hmm. people are getting arrested or whatever, and you're watching it in real time. And so when I'm asking that question about the weight, which I think you so perfectly like describe, people don't understand that this doesn't get turned off, right? like in terms of in terms of your day to day, it's not like you get to put this on a shelf and it doesn't impact the decisions or your livelihood or whatever. And years ago, I worked in college access and I remember someone from my old church was like, hey, we have this family. We want to work with you. We want to work with you. And I worked with like 95 percent of them were black kids. And uh, I remember the person said, "Yeah, there's the kid's super smart. We just can't figure out why. You know, mom's confused about getting him into college or whatever." And they were West African, mm-hmm. and so I said, "So I said, sure, I'll work with them because you know it was a it's a private company, so whatever." Mm-hmm. What I realized is that they hadn't told this white couple <laughs> that the son was undocumented. Yeah, mom, Ma- mom was documented, son was not, and so. And even that, which was even big. Right. Don't they don't tell that. their people they don't, don't tell their that's kids. That's possible. You yeah. don't even yeah. think it's possible. Oh no, I've worked with families where, full disclosure, part of the household is documented, part of the household is not. Like some kids are because mom and dad came at a certain point. You know, the kids who were born here, they have status. But then an older child or the older siblings are not, right? Or one parent is or not. So people don't understand how common it actually is to have mixed document status households. Like I'm like, oh. Uh, oh no, this is probably the most common thing you will ever see. And And I just remember working at the time and it was just when, you know, I was in Virginia. So Virginia was trying to figure out if a student would get in state because, you know, you know this international rates to go to a state school are it if it was even it's not out of state out of state is hard right so in state is like next level level of money and we were trying to figure out what school could take this young man who was a smart talented young man but he didn't have a social security number yeah right and so the it's the fact that people are all around us, and it's easy to sort of make this a topic of, oh, it's it's them, but I'm like, no, 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 no. It's, I guarantee you, it's probably someone around you. And so, even with the work that y'all are doing, do you have an idea, just an estimate of, estimates of 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 the and you can break it down in either way of the overall Black immigrant population maybe a percentage that's undocumented or of the overall undocumented the percentage that's maybe identifies it with at least one Black identity. Um, I know what the I think it's Pew
1: Institute mm-hmm. research. Yeah, yeah. Um, and their numbers are about six hundred thousand. I think it's six hundred and twelve thousand, if I'm not mistaken, undocumented Black people in the country. No, I'm assuming those are people who came from predominantly black countries, and so that's how Mm. they tiered them. Gotcha. Uh, We all know about like there are black people in Latino countries too, eh? (laughs) and (laughs) in other places too. (laughs) And they don't always count that. But no, it's about six hundred thousand people across the country. Um, and I don't know all that it has, but I think those are just people who don't have anything at all. It doesn't
0: even count other folks who may be like asylees or something. Got Oh, so that, so, so that could be tiered out separately. Mm-hmm. Okay. Could you just for clarification for the audience, just ex- ex- tier, explain the nuance? Yeah, sure. So asylee, you, uh, presented
1: like at the border or an airplane or at some point in the United States that you um need protection and uh, want to apply basically for a green card or for asylum because of persecution or um fear for your life discrimination something in your home country there's like a credible fear interview that you actually have to do with the immigration officer and then they decide whether or not they're going to give it to you so you can apply for it um within a year of coming to the United States is the current law, Uh, it's international law and it's something um, that is uh, internationally agreed to that the US routinely violates. And then being undocumented is just that you had a status expire. So you could have had a status expire, like a visa status expire and then apply for asylum because it expired perhaps within the year. There's certain nuances that Sometimes there may be exceptions, but someone who is an asylee may not call themselves undocumented because they may not have had a status in the first place or whatever, but on undocumented, we fold it all in because at some point you were in some limbo status. At some point you were in an in-between stage. Same for folks who are refugees. And so for refugees, they actually have to be, um, they have to pass a bar with the UN, with the United Nations that says that they, uh you know pass the bar and uh they place them in countries so the u.s actually gets a very limited number of refugees and that's one of the current battles that we're having with biden because he was supposed to bring that number back up trump basically brought it all the way down to zero and our activists are trying to get it back up to like around a hundred thousand and he's just not having it but in terms of a share of the world the u.s gets a really small share of refugees most refugees actually go to a place that's close to their home country so um a nearby country like jordan has like a really high number of refugees for instance and there are places in europe that have high, higher numbers um, when you compare it to their uh population
0: and thank you and thank you for that clarification because i don't think there are people who necessarily realize that undocumented and asylees could- there's There's a difference between you had status and it expired, and of course, and one where you're you're trying to pass that international bar. and so so sort of tell me in terms of 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 folks, if we're looking at kind of the undocumented side of things, is it t- and i I don't even want to use the word typically because people's stories are so different, but I would imagine a good number might be folks who came at under the age of eighteen.
1: There are. Yeah, there's there's quite a chunk of folks who came
0: under the age of 18. So we're probably looking at a number of folks who came as children who, quite honestly, unless your parents told you, you may not. Have, because why Why would you at 12 know what your your legal status is? Right. And then at some point realized or learned that they were they were uh, undocumented. So in terms of your organization, how are you obviously you're doing advocacy work because you alluded to with the Biden administration, but how are you really trying to support this, this particular cohort, right? So how do you support folks who identify as undocumented, who identify as black and are currently in the United States? Mm-hmm. So we talk about doing our
1: work in three different ways. Um, so we talk about the advocacy and policy and, and to be clear, so we have like a national team who are staff, and we're currently all Black women, um, all Black immigrant women, except maybe one or two, um, and most of us undocumented currently or formally, um, so there's that. Uh, And so uh, there's advocacy work, and so there's advocacy work that the team does, and then there's advocacy work that like members will do with the team, right? So they'll go to meetings or like in their own districts they'll have conversations, whatever that looks like. Um, Then there's the media work, so media and narratives, and so we do different things with that. So um, shameless plug, follow us on on DocuBlack, U N D O C U B L A C K um on twitter and instagram and facebook and also on org, and we determine how we want to share our narratives there so sometimes it's something fun and sometimes it may just be a video that explains why we need your help call congress why we want you to gather for something that is uh, like a protest or something of the sort. Um, and then the third way we call community and wellness. So, this is our IONDA program. It's called IONDA Hand in Hand, and it's like a peer to peer program. Uh, I would say almost like a peer to peer counseling program where you are paired with a cousin who is undocumented and black somewhere in the United States. So you fill out a form, they fill out a form, and you get matched based on your interests. And so you get to converse with that cousin. I still converse with my cousins, who I was matched with. Um, and then there's a regular community calls that we'll do. We'll do teach-ins. We have a teach-in coming in that's explaining the essential worker bill. Um, you know there's different things that we'll do we train we have a fellowship program called the alive and well fellowship and so we train folks on how to hold sessions so like what I was talking about where you can have a meeting without having a meeting right so according to like that book how to be a facilitator how to design sessions in a way that you can build community where you are it doesn't all have to be within on DocuBlack. we live in other spaces where in other places where there are undocumented people who need to be together. So it could be in a mosque, it could be in a church, it could be in a community session, it could be wherever, your cousins, your sister friends, and you want to hold space with them, you can do that. And so we have a fellowship program that trains people on how to do that. And we have a level one and a level two, the level two can go a little bit more deep into our campaigns. So we pick campaigns every year that we're going to work on. And so the network is involved in that. So really try to like structure it out. So depending on what you're into, you can get involved somehow.
0: So you guys are covering such a wide range of needs and just the work that you're doing. And I'm, i I'm very curious, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this. (laughs) But I would imagine you get some pushback. Yes. I mean, from who though? Well, and that's the question. So have you have you faced any pushback or any challenges? And and what does that look like if you are seeing it? Um, yeah, I mean, but who doesn't?
1: I, I guess I'm like so laissez fair about that part because you're gonna get pushback no matter what you do, right? So, where are you getting it from and who does it matter to? So, um, in the immigration movement in general, there's pushback sometimes. A lot of times it's very subtle, right? So, it's this idea of like, oh yeah, we know Black immigrants are a thing, but like, do you have to mention it all the time? It's like, okay. Yes, actually, we do. When I think about, you asked about people who come as children, I think about DACA, the way DACA is set up, it wasn't set up for us, and people don't know that even they're eligible for it, right? And so that's a big deal. Like that young man, depending on when he was trying to go to school, he likely could go to school and um could get DACA because um it's first kids who, young people who came at the age of sixteen, and I use young lightly because at this age it goes up to like if you were forty, depending on. Uh, so Obama put this thing in. Mm -hmm. uh, And it was when he declared it, that's when you were able to apply, if you were in the United States as of that date. And so the oldest person right now who would probably qualify is about 40. That's no longer a young person. I'm in my thirties. I'm getting out of what the young looks like, right? Yeah. <laughs> um. I hope at forty nobody ain't looking at me and saying, "Oh, young lady," unless it's somebody in their sixties, right? Um. But it goes all the way down to like, uh, when you're sixteen and you can age into it and apply. But there's certain limitations, so you can't have, uh, I think mo- you can't have a felony at all, and I think you can't have either more than two or three misdemeanors. If you Mm -hmm. grow up in a Black community that's heavily policed, you may have a misdemeanor, All right? You may have had some interaction with the police that might disqualify you from this thing. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so, uh, but you may not, because maybe, you know, you had to keep your nose clean and your parents are really on you for one reason or another. But regardless of that, people just don't think that DACA is for Black people. They do not think that it's for people who are not, Um, Latinx, we're not white presenting Latinx and so part of our work and we're trying to ramp that up right now is to tell people yes it is for you and you need to apply really quickly because this status has been in the courts, it's been a hot topic for a long time and it is in the courts and it really could go away but for right now it's open so please apply. Those things are really important to do. And now I've forgotten the question. But my point is (laughs) some of the pushback and the pushback I care most about is the pushback we get from our own community. So there's the immigrant community at large, but then there's like the black community itself. And that's who I care about. That's who I think on DocuBlack caters to, which is, Do you know in your African community, in Cameroonian community, Nigerian community, in the Jamaican community, what you are eligible for? What has been created that you can go ahead and apply for and take advantage of? And are you someone with access to power, to money, to something that you could effect some change? Maybe you can build a scholarship, and you haven't thought about that. Maybe you can give to funds like last year we had a COVID-19 relief fund and we're going to try it again this year. We're able to help over 400 households um, get money, multiple rounds of money, um, between 500 and like $1,000 so that they can help with household expenses, with rent, things like that. And that was made possible by people giving. And what we saw a lot of people do was they would give and they would get their uh, their employers to match that giving. Yes, do that. These corporations make tons of money and they want to get that tax write-off. Get us that tax write-off. Please do. You give your $500 and make them match it however many times they want to and make it 5,000 and go benefit five families. So. I think how we try to do it is just like if there is pushback from within the community it's for different reasons. It probably is lack of knowledge or it is fear. It normally lands in one of those two buckets either I don't know or I'm fearful right because to bring us back to what we talked about before you're always thinking about what are you doing and how will it impact down the line you getting your status you getting that green card so if i accept money from this organization that i really really need right now in a pandemic to pay my rent will that follow me somehow down the road and that immigration officer will not stamp my green card and therefore i don't get what i need that i'm ultimately seeking which is freedom freedom to roam
0: and so i um i got a follow-up question to that it might be kind of a difficult question we'll see okay. how it goes. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, especially when you're talking about pushback from your own community, do you see any, and and it can be in small pocket ways and maybe it doesn't exist really on a big scale. Do you see pushback from other black folks? Um, yeah, we have
1: mostly online. I haven't had that many people actually bring it up to my face. Um, but online, you may have had these trolls called ADOs. You familiar with them? Called who? Oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. Yes. Um, and I guess for those who are listening in who have no idea or are black or aren't American American descendants of slaves, ADOs. Does that sound right? Yes. Yes. ADOs. ADOs. ADOs um what is it i forgot what it's called uh, african descendants of slaves no american descendants did i say american yeah yeah i I said american descent i i could be it could be African. but yes i i am aware i I, I i'm aware aware of them honestly that's the first
1: person i thought of in terms of black people and again uh, hell they fall in those two categories they don't know and they're fearful (laughs) right like they're they're both they're both, but their whole thing is like, um, all, oh, uh, Americans do too much for undocumented people. They do too much for immigrants. They need to do enough for black people, regular smuggler degler black people, shout out to Cardi B. And, um, who, is- <laughs> who is? This is probably the first
0: time shockingly, as long as I've been doing this podcast, Cardi B has actually come up, which. I don't know what that says about me because I, the people I know (laughs) would mention Cardi B, but anyway, carry on.
1: (laughs) I love Cardi B. Also, Cardi B is Black for those who needed to know that. Um, (laughs) But anyhow, (laughs) um, but no, like, you know, and it's like, okay, so let's break this down a little bit. Descendants of slaves do you know what we are we are descendants of slaves anybody from the caribbean we're descendants of slaves black people did not magically show up in the caribbean we were forced and dragged and brutalized and beaten and had to fight for freedom just like black people in the americas had to do right so let's get that part straight Two, I ain't trying to get your money. If you try to get your reparations, go get your reparations. You ain't gotta give it to me. It's cool. The Jamaican government fight the British. Cool. Secondly, like, you know, what are you fearful of? Like, do you know who we are? So I've done like, um, I've done events on like Twitter. I did one with the Congressional Black Caucus actually, and people were, uh, were the ADOS people were under. It. Like, oh, da 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 da. Why are they talking about black immigrants? Why are they talking about black immigrants? And it's a scarcity mentality thing, right? It's like everybody wants a piece of the pie. What pie? There's a whole factory that makes these pies. You know, what kind of pie you like, sis? Go get it. You know, we don't have to. <laughs> we don't have to to limit ourselves. And I want us to think, um, about that and where that even comes from. Where does that construct comes from come from that we have to limit ourselves to this one thing? That's some internalized oppression shit. And it follows you whether you were born in America or you were born in Cameroon or you're born in Jamaica it follows you and you have to break free of that. You have to break through of that. You have to emancipate yourself your, your from mental slavery. Right? Um, shout out to Bob Marley, hey. Um, But you know, so I don't know, like there's been different pushback. There's been pushback from black people, but a lot of times after you have a conversation with them and you break down one of those two things, what are you fearful of and what don't you know? They're like, oh, I get it. And then they start to connect and realize, I know someone who's undocumented. And it's like, yeah, I know you do. I know <laughs> you do. I know you do. You just told me your family's from Trinidad. I know all of them didn't come with no green card. Somebody wasn't straight. Look that through. Ask that auntie who don't talk about that 10 year period of her life and don't talk to that ex-husband because he held things over her. Why did he hold things over her, sis? Why?
0: Why? <laughs> so. <laughs> So you're talking, and um here's here's what's going through my mind, and you're right if we there there are two things number one, because historically the u s government has done the black populations and honestly the native populations and a whole bunch of other populations wrong that Everybody. the reparations that should and 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 I, and I here's the thing I, am, I, I do think reparations are important and, and some people could get bent out of shape about this, but I'm I'm of the opinion that if the UK just finished paying people who had businesses or whatever in African colonies up in 2015, but didn't actually pay the people who, who were the labor or, uh-huh. you know, or in the US where they paid or, or there was money given to slaveholders, right? but was not given to the actual labor, you can't say that reparations is not a thing. Reparations has always been a thing. It's just a matter of what you call it, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So so that's the first thing. So I think that when when a group has not gotten what they feel they've deserved, this is in general Black, for the work and the labor and the effort that they've put in, there is a sensitivity, right, to this question of, okay, you guys look like you're just coming from here. Why do you get a piece of the pie? Now, the flip side is, <laughs> because immigration, you have to ask yourself, why do people need to immigrate from where they were? And and nine times out of ten, keep your face. Nine times out of ten, <laughs> they're leaving a former colony by a aforementioned European nation, which then did not leave them in the best condition. For them to build up their country so that they would not have to come to the West. So really, if okay. we look at this full circle, everybody's just trying to get what they should have got, but didn't get. Now now I know politically some people are gonna get a bit out of shape out of it, but I just I just I and I but I'm keeping it in the context of sort of the trolls that you've had to deal with, right? Yeah. Because because let's be honest, there are going to be people who hear this and have heard hear you speak or whatever, and are just gonna be like, Well, I don't even think we should pay attention to you. We haven't taken care of the black people here. I'm like, Well, honestly, there are a lot of groups that need to be taken care of. And I think we can walk and chew gum, right. And and if you've never experienced the US immigration system, (laughs) until you experience it, I've seen it adjacent. Once again, I was born in the States, so I I haven't had to go through it, but I've watched everyone, almost everyone in my family go through it and a whole bunch of other people. It is not as simple as just the way people think it is. And in some cases, sometimes it's just easier to go to other if you have access to other countries, because the US is very lengthy and very complicated. And so so I find it really funny about the the kind of the money aspect, because you're right. I think there there's a scarcity, but I'm like, why is there a scarcity? And who told us there was a scarcity and who's making uh, us think it was scarce? Uh, but Okay, okay, okay.
1: They created that scarcity, right? <laughs> but two things. One, yes, all of what you said, because yes, colonialism and yes, imperialism and um that's like a thing and, and like that's history like you can't even dispute that like when we think of like big stick policy literally the american president which president was it who said that i feel
0: i feel like it was jackson but i always was put everything jackson? on jackson but it may not have been him i always just I do. remember eisenhower i don't remember
1: but it was like this whole thing where like we're gonna lead the americas with a big stick and they absolutely did I mean, they made they made everything in the americas at least their problem america did that america did that america has bombed grenada america has invaded haiti multiple times america has military bases set up all across the caribbean you know what was really interesting when i came to this country that i didn't understand Hmm. birth control I was like, why don't Americans understand birth control? This is so weird. How come they don't teach it in the schools? How come y'all don't know about condoms? I was very, very shocked because in Jamaica, there is this thing called USAID. I don't know what it stands for, right? USAID. And apparently it's like in other colonialized places too, colonized places. And they run ads all the time like they get like like they partner with local people yeah and you run ads and they're like all these jingles man, wrap up the thing, da 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 you know and it's like you know it's like whole campaigns about family planning and birth control and i'm like so how come us have all of this power outside of their realm but they don't have no power inside of their realm how come how come you know and it's just like that's colonialism, that's imperialism, this idea that you can control entire other places, um, just because you can, right, and, and it doesn't necessarily look like what you have, but another day. But the other piece I was going to mention was about who created this scarcity, and I was going to talk about, like, I talked about the refugee cap, right, but there's also the visa caps. They have uh, capsule limits on how many visas are allowed from each country to come in the United States in the first place. They have limits on how much you have to pay to get that visa, what you need to produce to get that visa. And of course, the officers themselves, which is something I remember you mentioning, the human impact of it. There are people, biased ass people. Lord, I'm cussing so much in this podcast. That's all good. Um, <laughs> biased people who are deciding whether or not you get that visa remember this? you know so it's constructed it's constructed though so you ask all them white people who had um their people come from ellis island did they have to go through that no um you ask the number of undocumented irish people that's actually a thing there's a ton of undocumented irish people here like their employers themselves will turn a blind eye and give them that promotion and hire them and go forward and take that risk with that i9 audit and employ them like there's so many pieces like you can go and get daycare and no nobody is going to audit that daycare and figure out if you are uh, american um you know citizen or a green card holder to have your kids go there for free which is a thing that happened to someone in our network actually. She's Haitian. She had TPS. And whatever service she was using to take care of her kids supposedly was reserved for green card holders. Cause like when you get a green card, you know you may know this. You are not allowed to have like any welfare things for like five years. So no food stamps, nothing that is subsidized, no subsidized housing, nothing like that. That's a law that needs to go away immediately. But anyhow she took care of that and yeah they audited the daycare pinpointed her name and now she has a blemish against her record took the woman to court and charged her with fraud that's a problem like that's not okay and we shouldn't have to think about that people should have access to the resources that they need and in that case that's even more reason to work with undocumented people because Undocumented Black people go through some of the same struggles with Black people. And a lot of times what they do is that they try out on our populations first because they know we won't say anything. And then they institute it fully in the wider Black population. So stay a step ahead of these fools so that you can fight them with the correct ammunition.
0: So you mentioned the Irish, which I'm now, now, now I'm like down this rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're th- and you and so you're talking like 2021. There's a good number of. I mean, I'm not, I don't doubt this, but there are a good number of people who are Irish who are in the U.S. who are undocumented. And, and so I feel like I say this to people all the time. You would be surprised the number of white people who are undocumented in the U.S. White European. Folks, mm-hmm. we're here for a variety of like for the reasons everybody else is here, right? Like they overstayed a visa. That's that's a huge common thing, right? So maybe they came on a tourist visa or whatever, a short-term visa, and never left, <laughs> right? But I the the is just the fact that you mentioned the Irish and I because I was thinking, oh, maybe she's talking like 1912, but I think you're talking like
1: 2021, like yes, right now, 2021, <laughs> right now. There's a whole <laughs> slew actually and congress knows about them because what's his face paul ryan tried to sneak a bill in through um congress and i think it actually passed the house or something but it didn't hit the senate to legalize
0: undocumented irish people i'm not lying i swear look it up but let me ask you this (laughs) because now we've gotten we've gotten off the reservation and there are black irish folks i there's a group i call follow that's black and irish and they're cool but anyway uh what is the how are they going to try and sneak that, like, what, what is the, were they just coming here for opportunity and just didn't leave and he, he just figured. I mean, I don't know. I figure they become document undocumented, like the rest of, <laughs> of them. But like, the point is they had
1: an advocate in Congress, right? And, Paul and, Reckon, and... this, this man who blocked everything <laughs> immigration related, except when it was for white people. I think about that too with TPS for Venezuela, and I kid you not, I was in a Senate meeting a few years ago when like, Venezuela, the whole stuff was going yeah. on, and the uh, <laughs> staffer actually said, yeah, you know, like, I-, I thought that we could have at least gotten from Venezuela, it's not like there's any black people there, and I was like, sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> But it's all about perception. So in the same way that there's Black Irish, the perception that Paul Ryan had was not that they were Black Irish, but that he was going to benefit the good old white people. Let's help the good old white people. It's a similar thing for Venezuela. These aren't the Black people of Haiti who are, you know, invading our borders and are, no, actually, scratch that, don't say that. But these aren't <laughs> the Black people of Haiti who have fought and who are you know, really uh, rebellious and so will probably cause havoc. They're the good, good people of Venezuela and their socialism and we must fight it. So let us make sure that we take care of those people. Trump gave the foreign imports departure, a DED to them. And then Biden came in and gave TPS, the first country. He was like, let's come in, let's make sure you're OK. Has he reinstated TPS for Haitians? No. Has he reinstated uh TPS for Nepalese? No. Like there's has he given TPS to Cameroon and Martina that we've been fighting like crazy to get? No. Why? Because they're black. Or there's a president <laughs> of blackness and there ain't nothing they could gain for it. But hey, let's do Venezuela because, you know, fight communism. I have a
0: terrible story. <laughs> It's a terrible story, a uh, long story short, because I don't want to put my friend on blast who works for the US government, but no, it wasn't her. It wasn't her. It was she was the one telling me the story. And was it last year or two years ago? And I don't I don't even think people understand this where she she works at <clears throat> for the State Department in an embassy uh-huh. will just say uh-huh. on the continent. Uh-huh. I won't say where. Uh but had to deal with the situation where they had deported three gentlemen from the U.S. to this African country that she's in. But them dudes were like from Trinidad. They had never been (laughs) to the continent. And I don't know how you miss that these black I people the <laughs> no that's what i'm saying these black people were not even west african now i've, I've given way too much but uh she <laughs> was like she had to go in and be like uh y'all have deported people to the wrong country you literally put them on a flight to africa And if you were going to deport them, it was to the Caribbean, which is where they they needed to be. I mean, and I thought to myself, how is this happening? And you would think this is a story from like some old, literally, this was like 2020 or 2019, where she was trying to untangle and just the conversation she was having with people and the callousness and just the whole disregard. And, and the inability to see the seriousness of the fact that not only because let's be honest, deportation is traumatic, but not, but not only have you done detention, well, and not only have you done all of that, homie, this is like 1862 all over again, you can just go drop them off (laughs) in an African country and, 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 and hope for the best. And I'm thinking to myself. I am so livid on the behalf of these men. I don't even know who they are. And thank God you are a good hearted person, but everybody else was just like, well, you know, just whether or not they were in the country legally or not, does not mean that you need to put aside your humanity?
1: Yes. And what is legal anyway, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> so- because uh, the law should not be a shackle but that's a whole another story for a whole another day but anyhow it happens a lot more than you can think there's a somali 93 that was made popular in i guess it was 2018 it was one of those first um um deportations but anyways they couldn't land in somalia so they dumped a bunch of them in kenya uh they have done that as well with mauritanians they can't drop them in mauritania so they drop them in morocco or Senegal. and it's like oh well you know you'll figure it out um Which ironically, probably is safer to be in Senegal than Mauritania if you're black and Mauritanian and you were being deported. But besides, the, but it happens a lot because they don't take care. They don't take care
0: to figure out what it is that they're doing. I would be fascinated to know what the what what the numbers look like. And no one has this documented, I'm sure appropriately. But white folks who are deported and deported to the wrong country. But I'm sure not, well, I don't know.
1: Maybe. Um, ICE lies, ICE doesn't care about anybody. ICE is Immigration Customs and Enforcement for anyone who's listening. And um, maybe. I don't know. The numbers are there cuz they have it per country. But I don't know in terms of if they did it to the wrong place, that may be harder to find. Maybe you have to do like a FOIA request. But hey, if somebody's bored, you're you can go find the information. Go get you a um a CD-ROM drive cuz that's the way how this government sends the FOIA reports. They're such mm. You know like they really could just put it on a flash drive so it's easy to access. No. They send it via CDs. And there will literally be a three page document on this big CD ROM, okay? I had to get an external hard drive to read them. Um, but pro tip, if you plan to get some information from the government, buy yourself an external hard drive
0: so that you can um, read them CDs, have some fun. So we're always here about helpful information and that was the tip that nobody knew they needed. So, so. But Patrice, tell tell everyone once again, um, as we wrap up, where can they find you, your organization, and also what are ways that people can support?
1: Cool. Um so you can find us on uh oh, we have a TikTok now. Yes, we have a TikTok now. Um, on DocuBlack, U-N-D-O-C-U-B-L-A-C-K, undocumented and Black had a baby, on DocuBlack, (laughs) on um, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also follow us on docublack.org. Um, I would say Instagram and Twitter probably have the most up-to-date stuff, um, so... You can support when we start with our COVID-19 fund again, uh, go give some money, go give them coins. Um, We have an upcoming training on the 28th. I don't know when this airs, but if it airs in time, go to that training. Um, And we have lots of helpful resources on all of our pages. I am best followed on Twitter. I'm really fun. On DocuBlack underscore Pat is my name on Twitter, P-A-T, on docuplack underscore P-A-T, on Twitter, and uh, that's probably where you will find my musings and my thoughts and happy to
0: engage. Well, thank you so much for, some, for telling the story, for all the information you've shared. I think that this is just so important. So I'm, I'm glad you've given us the time for this and we will make all the contact information available in the show notes. Um, so if you are looking to find her and you couldn't write it all down, show notes, it'll be on the website. It'll be everywhere that we're, we have our podcast. So thank you for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me. This was fun.
0: Let's do it again, man. We can talk about food next time. Right. Y'all are listening right now, but, ooh, we should do a live event. We should. We should do a live event. But thank thank you for listening to Global Chatter, and I'll catch you next time. The Global Chatter with the Black Expat is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is produced by Justin Williams. You can find the show wherever you get your podcast, or follow us on our YouTube channel at The Black Expat Presents.